This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey friends, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. This is our last Boston Marathon interview series. I'm really excited to wrap this post-Boston interview series up with Scott Fobble, who placed seventh as the top American in Boston this year with a PR of 208.52. Scott is a returning, 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 returning guest on the show. Uh, He was on back episode 146. Then he came on episode 166 with coach Ben Rosario right after they published Inside a Marathon, the book they co-wrote together. And then he was on again, episode 178 after the 2019 Boston when he was seventh place that year. Uh, He came on again in episode 230 right before the Olympic trials when I interviewed the NAZ elite men's and women's team. So this is Scott's fifth time on the podcast and so excited to have him back after a great race. Scott has recently moved coaches and training programs. He is working with coach Joe Bossard now. In this episode, we talk about Scott's coaching and training group change and what he's excited about. It was great to catch up with Scott. We end the conversation with some fun pop culture type stuff that I love to talk about. And I think Scott does too. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. And hey, if you are looking to elevate your running game or athletic endeavors, make sure you check out Inside Tracker, who is sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I just got my blood work done last week. I'm waiting to see what everything looks like this week before I ramp up training this summer for a fall race. And I personally got the ultimate test. It checks so many biomarkers to make sure everything is where it needs to be for optimal performance. We worked so hard training for these marathons and races. It makes sense to make sure we have everything in line inside our bodies. And right now, you all can save at Inside Tracker, which by the way is super simple. You purchase the order that you want. I did the ultimate. And then you just print off a lab slip and take it into a lab that they partner with. Get your blood work drawn and then they'll send you the results. Um, they did Quest Labs here in Raleigh. This is such a great guide to navigate you to your goals. We all have big goals here, don't we? So to get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store for a limited time, Go to insidetracker.com slash another and use the code another for 20% off. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Scott Fobble. All right. Well, back on the podcast today, we have Scott Fobble joining us. Welcome back, Scott. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. How, how are you doing? Are you, what are you up to right now? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's a... Uh like two weeks after Boston. So probably gonna go for my first run, uh, after the, the race today. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty low key last couple of weeks. First run golf. today. First run. Yeah. For everybody listening. Come on. Scott Fobble took two full weeks off. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. It felt like it went by fast. I just feel like I, people always run marathons amateurs and they're like ready to start running again, like three days later. And I'm like, dude, you got to take at least a full week off. Yeah. I think there's a, like a level of pride that a lot of amateurs feel where they're like, you know what? I can still, I can still bang out three or four miles, even when my legs feel horrible. And yeah. uh, maybe I'm just not a proud man. I don't have that. <laughs> what have you been doing? Have you been hiking? Yeah. I've been walking the dog every day. So I've been exercising and I've been golfing a lot. Yeah. No, I mean, not much, you know, hanging out, hang out with my fiance, went to a barbecue, had a few beers the other day, you know, that, that kind of stuff, just really relaxed, low key kind of things. I know you were all up in like Coors talking about that. What kind of beer did you have at the cookout though? Oh, uh, Coors sent me a bunch of stuff. Um, so I brought over, yeah, I brought over a case of beer for the, for everyone. So I was, I was drinking, uh, Coors original. 
Oh, nice, nice. Um, so you're getting married kind of soon. Yeah, uh, 25 days. How are you feeling? That's exciting. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. Um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, my fiance, who's a saint, um, you know, <laughs> deserves almost all the credit for the uh, making sure this is so well planned and organized. So I'm just uh, trying not to get in her way for the most part and help out when I when I can. And um, uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. It's gonna be fun. What are the wedding vibes? Like what kind of wedding is this? I always said like, I got married super young. I was 24. And I'm always like, it would have looked so much different if I was even, you know, 30. And I know you're 30. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. It's, you know, like, a, I think a pretty normal wedding, hopefully. Um, nothing. We're not like getting wild with anything. Um, the playlist is like very um, 2008 homecoming vibes. Nice. Um, yeah. So we're hoping hoping that'll really get the party going. Um, neither of us are like super like comfortable being the center of attention. So uh, it will hopefully be more like a big party than like a uh, wedding where everyone's looking at us. Well, it's going to happen at least that one moment where she's walking down the aisle. Yeah. Well, that's fine. After that, you know, give us what five ten minutes up at the altar uh, and then um then let's just all have a good time i have to admit it was very that was very uncomfortable for me doing that like that's a very uncomfortable and vulnerable moment like everybody's looking at you so i'm just preparing you there yeah well great hopefully everyone will be looking at her so. <laughs> that's true they will they will be looking at her okay i have to know that what are your what were your must-haves on the playlist i know you said homecoming 2008 but um like what what are the artists like? What are the songs that are like? You know how you give the DJ a list, and then like mm -hmm. he kind of does his own thing a little bit too. Like, what were the you have to play this songs? There's a, a good amount of Akon and Little John on there. Okay, okay. Um, a little bit of Usher. Um, let's see, some Genuine. Okay, you know, Pony. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah, some Pony. The bangers, you know, the classic bangers. Um, Little, I think Freak -a Leak is on there. That was one of the first. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, uh, little too short. Blow the whistle. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever you would have found in like a high school gymnasium uh, with kids awkwardly uh, learning about uh, intergender dynamics <laughs> in like 2007, 2008, I think is like, that's our genre. If, like mean... that could be a pain. That's it. High school gymnasium 2007. That's so good. I mean, I remember dancing to Freak Leak at like frat parties. I, you know, I'm not that yeah. old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's a great song. I hope it still gets played at frat parties and homecomings. It oh, should be, uh, oh my gosh. It should be like a rite of passage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay. Well, this is great. And remind me, I feel like the you and your fiance have been together for a while. Were you together like years ago when we first talked? I can't remember. Yeah, we met in college. So oh, wow. Uh, fall of 2014 is when we met. Okay. So it's eight years or coming up on eight years. And then when did you get engaged? About a year ago. Okay, cool. Oh, so yeah. exciting. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, it, and last wedding question, where is the wedding? Like what city are you doing it in? Uh, it's in Portland. Okay, cool. That's where you're from, right? Uh, no, I'm from Denver. Met in we met in Portland, and that's where Haley's family's all from. Okay, cool. Um, all right, let's talk about Boston a little bit. Um, yeah, awesome job, two hundred eight fifty two seventh American or seventh overall first American. Uh, congratulations! Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And how did you feel? Like, did you feel like I have a secret? Like, I I know that like I can accomplish something really special today, and I'm kind of like flying under the radar a little bit. Uh, I definitely felt like I was flying under the radar, and that was sort of nice. as kind of Felt like a little bit of a change. I felt like I was in good shape. I didn't know whether or not I was like ready to set the world on fire or anything like that. And I don't, I don't know if I did, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I felt, felt prepared, I guess is the right word. And then during the race, I felt like very at ease. I felt like I, everything I was doing was, was right in the moment. So this is your third Boston, right? Correct. Yeah. So did you kind of feel like comfortable letting everybody go and just saying like, I'm running my own race. I know this course. I know what my body's capable of. Yeah, I knew. I knew like when the front group sort of broke away at five miles, that was too early um, to start pressing. And one thing I talked about with with Joe, uh, my, my current coach, um, my new coach, uh, 
was the first 20 miles are just easy. They're smooth. There shouldn't be strain. You know, the race starts at 20 basically was sort of what we were thinking. And um, that's advice like I've given to friends of mine who are like, you know, they train and they, um, they work out and stuff and they're in decent shape, you know, 220, low 220s and stuff. If they ask for advice, I usually say first 20 miles, you're, you're water, you know, you're just flowing. So try to take a little bit of my own advice. I don't know that I've done that that well in other races, um, sort of pressed a little bit early. And then, um, yeah. So I just felt smooth the first 20 miles. And so when they broke away at five, that was an easy decision to leave that group. Your water, you're just flowing. I've never heard that spoken like that. I kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you know, like it's obviously, I don't know. I think the marathon people overcomplicate it by trying to think about every single mile split or like, when do you push or, and really it's, it's pretty simple. You're just conserving energy. You're smooth, but fast as long as you can. And then once you get past 20, kind of just go, 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 you know, nothing really to hold you back then. Do you feel like that's more so on a course like Boston though? I mean, I'm not a professional marathoner. I have run like 17 marathons though. And I feel like I got to work pretty hard before 20 if I'm going to do something special for me. Well, there's always like a stretch. I've always found that there's a stretch somewhere in the middle that sucks. Like for whatever reason, in like the 11 to 13 mile range, um, there's always a stretch that feels like, like, oh man, like, I don't know if I can get there. Like I might have to check off, but just accepting that that's coming and then kind of weathering that storm. But I think, I mean, I think for most courses, probably it's more true for amateurs since you guys are out there like more minutes, Mm -hmm. I would say energy conservation might be like more important. Um, Because if you think about it in minutes, like for me, 20 miles is like hour 38, hour 39. And then the last... 6.2 is 30 31 so if you think break it down like that um you know maybe for an amateur they could push for the last 40 minutes maybe if their legs are still under them but i would say it's more important to feel smooth and feel relaxed early so that you can take time out late um yeah and you can manage your nutrition better if you're flow like if you're smooth you can you're not burning carbs as early. And I think it's probably more important for amateurs to feel good through 20 or feel like their legs are under them through 20. I think it's interesting. You mentioned the miles 11 through 13. I always feel like in a half marathon, it's miles like six and seven where I'm just like, Oh fuck, like, what am I doing? Like, how am I going to like, but you know, get through. And it's like, I got to get over that hump and then I can get to the last 5k and like mentally process it. But that's similar in, in the half as well. That's always my mental battle in that middle zone right there. Yeah. I think you can learn a lot about yourself. And like, if you're watching a race, learn a lot about the competitors. If you watch the race, like between halfway and two thirds of the race, because you're far enough in where it starts to like, you start to get fatigued. It starts to suck, but you're not so close that you can smell the finish line. Mm-hmm. So, like that's where you've got to make like tough decisions. Like if you look at somebody with like 700 to go in a mile, like that's when it's easy to check off, mm-hmm. you know, to not keep the pedal down. And it's the same with like a 5k from like three to 4k is when you really find out about someone or find out about yourself. Um, Cause that's where it really hurts, but you can't quite see the finish line. So if you just extrapolate that, I think that's sort of the same idea with the marathon, like in the half, you know, like when you start thinking to yourself, like, man, I still have 70 minutes to go or an hour to go and I'm not feeling awesome. But you, if you can get through that part and you can get to the part where you're looking forward to the end and smelling the finish line, then you can kind of make something happen at the end there, but only if you make the right decisions early. What were you telling yourself in Boston when everybody went and you were, you were in control and you knew what you were doing? Like, how did you keep yourself calm, but ready to like fight when it was time? Um, I mean, we had a good group in that second pack. Um, I felt comfortable. Like, it's nice to have validation in your decisions. Like if I had checked off and like Jared Ward and Colin Benny and like Reed Fisher and the guys that I was sort of trusted to make good decisions weren't in that group. Um, then I would have maybe been a little more anxious, but I felt like there was some strength in numbers. We had a good group. We were pretty cooperative. We were working together. And, um, you know, I knew like we were still on sub 209 pace, even when we checked off, you know, I came through halfway in 104.26. And 
was like, well, that's the fastest I've ever come through a half marathon and I'm feeling okay. So like, I know that the people up front are going to start to fade. Um, and just, I guess I kind of just had faith. I, like I said, I felt, I felt really comfortable in the moment for basically that whole race. There was never like a time when I was unsure of myself for whatever reason, I just felt very, I felt like I knew what I was doing was right. Did you feel, and you replace this word if there's a better word. Um, did you feel like a little bit of redemption after a hard Boston in the fall? And I know you were sick before the trials. And so that ended up not being, you know, the best race of your life. But did you feel a little bit of redemption and all, all these years of hard work? Um, no, I don't think I felt redemption. I felt validation and I felt pride. Um, because like, I always knew that I was that good. Like I've always known that I'm that good or better, you know? Mm -hmm. And it sucks to not like live up to that, but that sort of happens, you know, it happens. And I think part of the reason it happened was because I was, I think I was pressing in practice and I was like pressing mentally, like to, to think of myself as like world-class as elite and like feeling like I needed to live up to that every day. Um, and that was different. This buildup, I felt like all I can do is like do well on the day. And I don't have to win Boston every single time we do a workout, you know, I can just, I can just be fine. I can just be okay. I don't need to be special and light the world on fire. And part of that, it was, you know, working with Joe, he's, our training was very conservative and um, we didn't, there were a lot of days where he was like, see how easy you can make this, hmm. which was sort of a different split or a different mentality than um, I think I had coming into some of the other races where I was like, really feeling like I needed to light the world on fire in practice. So like he would say that on a workout day? Yeah. He's like, don't press, don't press. See how easy you can make this. Like he, um, he really differentiates running fast from running hard, hmm. you know? So you run like, you know, sometimes in practice you're allowed to run fast, but you're not allowed to run hard. Hmm. And it's, well, you can find that balance between I'm going to run fast, but not, but I'm going to be smooth. I'm going to be easy. You let the, the effort and the the feelings and the efficiency drive the ship instead of like trying to force a split. I think that made a big difference to me this time. Kind of takes some pressure off. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's a much more fun way to train where you're not constantly worrying about whether or not you're good enough to win Boston on every given day, you know? Yeah. Because everyone, even, um, you know, Kip 2 who won Boston, it was Kip 2, right? Or Kip Ruto? One of the two. Anyways, uh, even he had bad days in training. Like, I know that he did because that's how it works. Everyone has bad days in training. You're training hard. You're going to have bad days. Um, but it's hard to remind yourself that sometimes when you are feel like you need to punch above your weight a little bit. So, yeah, well, we just try to take care of everything day by day. Hey, friends. A quick break here to share with you about a product I'm loving Portland Bee Balm. Beyond the amazing quality of their balm, Portland Bee Balm is committed to creating sustainable products, which is hugely important to me. They are members of 1% for the Planet, which means they donate 1% of revenue to organizations tackling our planet's most pressing environmental issues. This is so cool. Products that are useful, natural, and add value to people's lives and the world. Portland Bee Balm provides the best hydration for your lips with clean and simple ingredients. Since I put balm on my lips multiple times throughout the day, it is very important to me that the products I'm using are clean and effective. Portland Bee Balm has so many different varieties of scents, but my favorite is the Organ Mint. The ingredients they source and the packaging they use all support health and well-being to the environment and community. So awesome. You all can go to portlandbeebalm.com and use the code SANDYBOY for 20% off your first order. All right, friends, back to the show. Okay, so um, let's just talk about working with Joe now and and sure. the feelings around that and, and how you chose to go that route. Um, it sounds like things have been simplified and pressure has been taken off a little bit. Um, as I'm saying that though, I'm curious, 
if you could go back and tell like 2019 Scott, who just had that outstanding performance in Boston uh, when you PR'd and were seventh American then, or I keep saying American, seventh <laughs> overall, first American then, um, like if you could go back and tell yourself something, like what would you tell yourself? I tell myself not to change. Mm. You know, because I tried not to change. I really did. I tried not to like let my performance at 2019 Boston influence how I went forward because I was aware that the way we got to the 2019 Boston result was by focusing on the process. Mm. But then when you're so close to like attaining something like, and look, 17th at Boston in 2019 was awesome. It was special. But like, you know, when you're close to attaining, it always feels like there's another tier that you're really close to getting to, you know, like, it's like, man, maybe, you know, I wasn't that close to running 208. I wasn't that close to getting top five. Like, you get away from, I think, the things that got you there, which was, like, just being as good as you can be on the day and, like, not trying to knock every workout out of the park, like, really picking and choosing your days and not putting too much pressure on yourself and just focusing on, like, being excellent at getting excellent as opposed to assuming you're going to be great and needing to live up to some artificial bar that you've set for yourself based on past results, like, I don't know. I think I got away from focusing on the process and I really wanted the results to come. And I think if that's a mistake that uh, amateurs make as well, where like just sort of relate this to probably more of your listeners, like when people say, I want to break three hours in the marathon before the training has started. Well, now you're right. You're training to break three hours when you should when you, that's backwards, like you should be doing the training and then allowing the training to like educate your, how you think the race is going to go. Mm. And I was doing the same thing. I was like, well, I was seven to Boston. So now like I have to win the trials. And so I was spending the whole training block trying to live up to winning the trials when I should have just let the training come and figured out whether or not I was capable of winning the trials after the fact or like after the training, you know, before the race. Um, and the same thing with, uh 2021 boston i was like well my goal is to win boston so i have to i have to nail this workout i have to nail that workout i have to you know exceed expectations here and that's just not that fun or that healthy um and it sort of like sets you up to get in over your head and i think that's kind of the worst thing you can do in the marathon is um it's too long and too hard to kind of get out over your skis um you kind of need to be within yourself so, yeah, that's really good advice. So many people have yeah, I kind, of, kind of went on a long tangent there. No, but. please. I love it. It's you make my job easier when you do that. Please do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I think that's such good advice. And you mentioned the three hours and I mean, for a lot of time it's, it, for amateurs, it's like the elusive, like I want to Boston qualify and things like that. Yeah. And it's really hard to not focus on that goal, but you're so right. How do you like, I mean, I guess you're still working through it and you seems like you sort of figured it out this time, but like, how do you manage that? Because at the end of the day, like you want to be the best, like you, you want to win, like you want those, um, fast times and all those things. I know for you at the majors, it's like a place over a time, obviously, but like, how do you manage like process, but I'm still really competitive and I still want to be the best. Yeah. I think it was like making the transition to working with Joe and being on like the team boss, I think helped because those, a lot of those women are really good at it. Like if you uh, like being around Emma Coburn, like she has never, I've never heard her talk about. Um, she's so interested in doing as well as she can on the day. Never really heard her talk about her like goals for the next worlds or whatever. Um, it's all about getting better today and assuming that that will lead to success later. Um, so I think trying to soak up that team atmosphere, um, I think one of the reasons I wanted to work with Joe was because I think the team boss ladies have like a certain level of swagger that I sort of aspired to have, I guess. Um, and maybe I thought, felt like I was forcing it, um, previously. So, uh, yeah, I just tried to soak it up from some of my new teammates. I love that. So I know that you reached out to a few coaches when you decided it was time to move on and it ended up working um, out with Joe. 
What was it about him specifically, not necessarily compared to the other coaches, but like what were the special things about him that you really wanted to be a part of? I know the ladies, of course, but like the team. Yeah. Yeah. um, I appreciated that, you know, like I'm still living in Flagstaff right now and I was up in Boulder for up in Colorado for eight weeks, but I appreciated that Joe was like flexible enough to work with me in a less than like hundred percent ideal situation. Um, so that was great. That was a big selling point. And I appreciated that he didn't really feel like he was trying to sell me anything. Hmm. He was sort of like, this is what we do. This is sort of our attitude surrounding training. These are our guiding principles. And if you want to be a part of that, great. And that's sort of what I've responded to, like in terms of, I guess, picking out teams or picking out friends, I guess, uh, in my whole life is like, I've never really liked people who felt like they were putting on a performance to impress me or whatever. Like even at university of Portland, coach Connor was like, Hey, look, you can come in. This is what we do. You know, this is sort of how we do things and you can be a part of it if you want. And I was like, I do. That's great. And so I felt that same sort of energy from Joe, the, the, which is like, you know, that's like confidence to just say, this is how we do things and you can be a part of it if you want to be. So I felt, I, I liked his confidence. I liked his flexibility and, just talking on the phone, I thought we would, you know, I liked him and I thought we would get along well. And yeah. Did you ever get bored with the four workouts that I've heard about? Uh, no, I didn't. I mean, it's, you know, this was my first build up with him. So maybe in the, in time I'll be like, you know, I'd love to change things up, but <laughs> uh, no, on the first time through, I felt very ready to, or very open to doing whatever he told me. Yeah. I th- I feel like, um, well, it's kind of it's kind of nice to hear that that it just like everything was simplified and it just feels like less stressful, but it seems like people just want to do all kinds of different workouts and you know, you know, fast and slow and and speed up and intervals and all the things and it can get really overcomplicated. And I'm I'm I don't yeah. just mean for pros, I mean for all of us and all the people listening. It's like do you really have to do all those things? I mean, and how much of it is you're doing it for the confidence, you know, I think some people need that. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a great golfer. I'm okay. But I find myself making that mistake on the course as well, like really needing to overcomplicate things and really like trying to get cute, whether I, when I'm on the driving range and it's like, no, just like, just hit the ball, mm-hmm. you know, just like, you know, just get your, keep your hands in front of it, compress the ball, move it down the fairway, you know, and uh, you don't need to try to cut corners or, you know, hit like a low burning snap hook to get her out of a tree. Like sometimes you just got to play laterally. And I think the same um, applies to, you know, running where I think people, they really, they get really focused on sort of the jargon. They're like, Oh, I got to hit the zone or like, I got to you know build my speed endurance or like my aerobic threshold. And it's like, well, yeah, but you can kind of just do that by, doing like really simple stuff. Well, you don't need to be like targeting specific um, adaptations in workouts necessarily when you can just have good workouts and sleep good and take your easy days easy and you'll do pretty well. Um, Tell me a workout though, that you did do that was like confidence building and you felt like, okay, I nailed that. Like I'm good for Boston. We didn't really have those. Like we didn't, I didn't have a day where I was let off the leash. Like everything was very attainable. It was very, um, all the workouts were very gettable. You know, there wasn't anything I had to like really, really reach for. Um, I had some good long runs, had some good sessions and Joe was confident. So I was confident. I mean, it kind of makes me excited to train for a marathon, Scott. I've been like, so like, uh, I don't want to put the work in for that. But this like theory makes me feel like, oh, I could do it. I could work hard and still run kind of fast without like, you know, taking myself down to the ground. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, yeah, I didn't have any, like, I got to sit down in the shower days. Okay. Um, yeah. I heard like, I was, I was like, I don't want people to think I didn't work hard. I worked really hard. Obviously. But, like, the workouts were very controlled. Yeah. You never felt like you went totally to the well. For sure. Yeah. And that's different than I think how Ben Rosario does it at NAZ Elite. And that worked really well for me for a number of years, but I think I got a little older and I needed something different. Sure. Yeah. That's a really good point with age. Like your training just has to change at least for most people. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, I do want to talk about Ben a little bit. You know, I, I love Ben. I love talking with the NAZ crew and I actually just interviewed Ben um, a couple weeks ago with his new book coming out. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if his episode or your episode will come out first, but um, I I know you guys had a, a good relationship for a long time and you, you are on good terms and everything is fine, but um, it must have been hard to make that decision to leave someone who's been coaching you for you know, almost all, if not all of your professional running career. Yeah, it was hard. It was very hard. Um, but I felt confident in my decision. I was really not looking forward to when I told Ben about my decision, but I, I felt like I was doing the right thing. Um, and I also knew like Ben's professional, Ben, he's really competitive. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that like, we were probably going to have a cu- tough couple of weeks, but the end of the day like he was going to get it he was going to understand like very few athletes spend their whole career in one situation you know you everyone wants to be Derek Jeter everyone wants to have a you know career like Meb where they have one coach and they have success for 20 years but that's just you know that's not reality for most people most people change coaches and so I knew that he was going to see that and I knew that we were going to be fine long term if we could just get through that sort of shitty period um and we did, you know, we're fine now. You know, we hung out after Boston at the after party. We, um, we texted a bunch about the masters golf tournament, mm-hmm. uh, talked about fancy golf. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. When he gets back from Kenya, we'll, um, meet up at trivia and have a couple beers and, you know, we'll be good. I love a big running dork that is into all kinds of other sports. That's one of my favorite things about Ben. I love that he's like into all the sports. Yeah, no, I think it's a lot of, uh, he's really, that's one of the reasons I think he has such good relationships with his athletes is because he's not like so focused just on running that he has outside uh, interests, you know, whether it's um, other sports or whether it's like American history or whatever it is, you know, he's, um, he's interested in it. And I think it helps him bond with his athletes a little bit because they have, you can have shared interest with them outside of work. Um, What was like, when did you know? I feel like these decisions in life can be hard even when you know, but like when were you like, okay, I know that this is what I have to do. After Boston 2021, I I reached out to some people who I think are smart and I trust in the sport and um, just wanted to get their opinions on things and sort of get their perspectives. And I think I was probably feeling like I, like I just felt really unprepared at Boston 2021 I just felt really like I didn't have the tools I needed and um so when after that you know I was thinking about it and uh reached out to some people and just kind of they sort of reaffirmed what I was feeling like I didn't have the conviction in the program anymore I didn't have the like I didn't feel like I was going to be a I felt like I was a little bit out and once you're, I think, a little bit out, like you're just going to be a shitty teammate and you're not going to be interested and it's going to be bad for everybody if you are have one foot in and one foot out. So at that point, I was just like, I need to make up my mind and I need to decide whether or not I can get all the way back in the boat or whether I need to do my own thing. And um, I felt like it was just time for me to do my own thing. So I would say somewhere between Boston 2021 and December, right around Thanksgiving, I think. Well, you ran really well in Houston. What was your like life and coaching and all that looking like in Houston, like leading up to that? Yeah, I coached myself for about two and a half weeks. Okay, um, <laughs> it's a nightmare. I, uh, I'm a bad, I'm bad at coaching myself. Um, I spent way too much time worrying about whether or not I was writing the right workouts for myself, whether my mileage, what my mileage was was going to be, what I was doing here and there, and it was just. I knew I was not sustainable. I mean, I knew it was never going to be sustainable. Um, I know I can't coach myself, but uh, that was a nice affirmation of that. And um, so I was looking for coaches basically right after I left Ben. And um, so I started working with Joe early December, maybe. And uh, yeah. And so he coached me for five, six weeks before Houston. Or Houston. And yeah. you said in your post after that, like sometimes you just need to get out of your own way. What did you mean by that? Uh, I think I was talking about in the race. Mm, I, yeah, you are. Yeah, like 
um, I think one of the mistakes I've made in the past is like, you know, inevitably in a race when it's hard, you start having negative thoughts and you start like kind of writing the story of the rest of the race. Like, Mm -hmm. and I, I did a better job of getting out of that in Houston where I was like, you know, eight miles in or whatever, I'd have a, a bad minute or something like that and be like, well, shit, like maybe I should just check off like five miles to go, 25 minutes. I can still excel with a good time. Like, you know, I can hang in there, I guess, but like, I don't know if I can hang with this front group. And I would just say, like, no, no, fuck that. Like, give me five hard steps, five hard steps and you're back in the group. Um, and just letting the race come to me as opposed to feeling like I needed to outsmart the race. It's wild to me that you even have those thoughts like I you know because I think that is what a lot of us get so nervous about before a race it's like am I going to be mentally strong enough to work through that that exact feeling that you just explained or am I going to give up just a little bit like still run okay but give up just a little bit to that like pain and and how bad it hurts so it's so interesting to me that you're like working through this at your level yeah, I think anyone who says that they don't like have those feelings are like that they're lying to you. Like maybe you get a day like once a year or once a career, maybe even where you have no negative thoughts and you just like feel perfect and never have to make a tough decision. But that's not that's not reality. Um, and I think you've got to practice that like in workouts because in workouts you're going to have days where it's like this feels like shit. Like I don't know if I can finish this. And you have to find you have to find your strategies before the race. You can't go into a race looking for, like, on a journey of self exploration to try to figure out how you're going to get out of a bad situation. Like, <laughs> you got to have that toolbox ready. Um, so I practice it during workouts too. I I feel that way during most workouts. Would you say Boston? You had a day where you didn't really have those feelings, or well, you said mile eleven, maybe. Yeah, I mean, in you know, I had a I had a really good day in yeah. Boston. I. A lot of positive feelings um and it helps that i felt good in the second half and i kept catching people catching people but you know even like in the last five miles like when it started to really hurt it was like okay well i'm in i got myself into 10th like that's a pretty remarkable day like it was i was part of me was willing to settle mm-hmm. and i still had to snap out of that and be like no, no no one more guy one more guy one more guy like like crush this mile crush this mile like get to the sit go sign you know like i had to get out of that thinking I guess and just let my legs do their thing um when was like when did you was the last person that you passed I think it was on Boylston on Boylston did you pass a couple people on Boylston uh I passed three people in the last 2k okay um I think I passed Jamel Yimmer um on Boylston he was I mean he was jogging it in at that point but um yeah I think I, I think I got someone on Boylston okay so tell us what your like post race feelings were what did Scott uh, feel? I felt relief, honestly. I felt like I think that was what I felt relief more than anything. It was like uh, my fiance had gotten down to the finish line area. She had a pass, um, so I, I hugged her and you know felt really happy there in that first moment. And then eventually made my way through drug testing. And drug testing really puts a damper on any positive oh, feelings. Oh, sure. Like <laughs> you can imagine filling out paperwork and peeing in a cup in front of another man. Um, <laughs> I have to feel like elation during that, but uh, <laughs> I, I felt happy. I felt relief. Oh, that's so good. Uh, last NAZ question. I'm curious, have you thought about, and uh, maybe you're still formulating these thoughts, but like what are some of your biggest lessons that you've taken with you from coach Ben and just that whole portion of your career? I learned a lot about professionalism, you know, like this is a job and it's a, it's an awesome job. It's a great job. I'm really lucky to have this job, but it is a job. And I think a lot of people treat it like a, not like a hobby, but like, like there's some sort of entitlement where they don't have to do things other adults have to do. Um, So I think I learned a lot about professionalism from Ben and from NAZ Elite. Um, I learned a lot about where I think the sport needs to go, um, in terms of like, sort of how athletes need to have relationships with brands and how athletes need to create their own leverage. And, you know, and I made really good friends. I made really good relationships at NAZ Elite. So 
I think those are the three things. Professionalism sort of formed my image of the sport and uh, and relationships. I love that. What Can you dive in a little deeper on the where the sport needs to go? <laughs> I know that's a big, yeah. I know that's a big topic. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at like some of the sports that we should be comparing ourselves to, you know, like formula one or cycling, which are, have a much bigger global profile than athletics. Um, you know, you see this like team infrastructure that is searching out non-endemic sports brands or non-endemic brands to sponsor the team. Like you look at the formula one cars and they're, they're like a giant billboard with a hundred logos on them. And that's not what the sport of running looks like at all. You know, there's logo restrictions. There's mm-hmm. uh, like pretty massive. Uh, I think there's like a big bias from at the top towards not, not changing, towards re- keeping the status quo and not innovating in any way because they're making the money. And if they innovate, then maybe they won't have as big of a share of a pie. But uh, yeah, I think that's and just sort of seeing the infrastructure that Ben has created around the athletes, like understanding that the athletes are first and forefront and the best way to create value is by creating an environment for them to um, succeed. Uh, you know, they're providing health insurance, like providing, um, you know, access to physios and access to sports psychology and like, having as many professionals around as possible. Um, you know, I think that's one thing I learned there and just trying to do stuff, trying to be innovative and not being, getting stagnant. Um, you know, when, during the pandemic, Ben took it on himself to plan the marathon project and play a 5k in St. John's or sorry, St. George. Uh, and I think that's not what you see in the rest of the sport. And yeah. So like, does that look like, you athletes working with your agents to be more innovative and then people like Ben or Joe, like coaches of groups being more innovative. Like how does that change happen? Well, I don't, I think it will likely have to happen from like the coaches and the athletes, but it shouldn't, I don't think like it'd be wild if like Roger Federer had to play in his own tournaments, you know, (laughs) it should be happening from up top. It should be happening from, but like, the people who run the sport are in many cases corrupt and in more cases lazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm not optimistic on that front, but cause it just like, there's like abdicating that responsibility to athletes and coaches is not fair because they have other jobs. That's not their job. Sure. You know, like, uh, like my skill set does not include, uh, like navigating legalese and figuring out health insurance like group health insurance plans but um like you kind of have to be a jack of all trades in the sport since there's not like a a larger infrastructure was your health insurance did you have private health insurance or did you have health insurance through the naz group i had health insurance through naz that's pretty cool go ben yeah i mean yeah that was wonderful that was awesome um okay so what are you what would you what are like your biggest priorities when bringing on a sponsor when that happens? I know, you know obviously you're with Hoka for a very long time. Everybody knows you wore the Lululemon tie-dye jersey in the race, yeah. which was awesome by the way. Are they sending you is Lululemon like sending you like lots of gear now? <laughs> uh no. They haven't sent me any gear. Uh I would love to work out some sort of larger deal with uh them or some other company. Um, but no, I haven't. Coors is the only one who sent me a care package. <laughs> but what, like, what's most important to you with a sponsor? I want in my next contract the ability to formulate my career in a way that fits my skill set. So, like, I don't want. I would rather have just like a good base salary with like less time-based incentives and more like big bonuses and bonuses that are hard to achieve, but like bonuses that fit what I want to do. So like, I don't really have any interest in going to Berlin or London or whatever, you know, cause like my PB in the half is like about what those guys come through half marathon in at Berlin or London. Like I can't compete up front there. Um, I'm not 
delusional about that. I'm not a 203 guy right now, um, or probably will ever be, but that's fine. Because you don't need to be a 203 guy to run well at Boston or New York, or you know any of these other more tactical decision-making marathons. Um, so I would like a contract that uh, high, that like complements my skill set, and I don't want to like have to look at my, look down my contract and be like, well, actually, like I would be leaving a lot of money on the table by not going and chasing a time. Like I don't really want mm. to do that. I don't think it makes sense for me at this point, and I don't. I'm happy with my PB. I hope I run faster, but if I don't, then this is something I can end my career proud of. Um, and yeah, I just would like a contract that I guess suits me a little bit more than I think a lot of just generic contracts might be. Well, I think that more people like advocating for themselves, like you're going to do here is, is what it's going to take, right. For, for those opportunities to come up for more people. And I, it's almost like, does it take like experience and like I've been in this game for eight years now or seven years now to know like, oh, wait a minute. Like, like you said, this is a business and I can advocate for myself and I can just make more of the decisions myself. I think it's tough because, yeah, I mean, I think that would be huge. And I think people advocating for themselves is great. But I think that the issue is like, it's tough to advocate for yourself when you're working through an agent and it's tough to not have an agent because, you know, especially if you're not like a big star, you know, like I know Allison Felix, her husband represents her and that's great. Cause she's Allison Felix. She can, she can get in a room with anybody, but like me coming out of college, couldn't really get in a room with everybody. You know, I was room 2843. I'd been all American in cross country, but it doesn't really move the needle. Um, and so you kind of, I think at that point in your career, you need an agent just to get you in the door. And it's tough to like, um, yeah, there, there's a certain relationship with agents that like agent between the agent and the companies that sponsor athletes that it's tough to sort of wedge your way into. And like, that's not a shot at my agent by any means. Josh is wonderful. Josh is great. Uh, he's been nothing but awesome to me, but I think larger for larger picture in the sport is, uh, uh, I think a lot of progress can be made in terms of agents actually working for their athletes as opposed to working for the companies that they're signing the deals with. I mean, everybody loves Josh Cox. Yeah. Great guy. Wonderful guy. One day I'm going to get him on this podcast. He tells me he doesn't do, he doesn't like to be the person with the attention on them, but I really do want to interview him someday. Yeah. If you ever do block off two and a half, three hours, because the man can talk. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey everybody, I want to give you a heads up. I am going out to Madison, Wisconsin in June for the Made to Move race weekend. I am so excited about this race weekend. Mel Charbonneau, who is the founder of Fellow Flowers and I, along with Tony Carey, who is the founder of Black Girls Run, are going to have an amazing conversation the Friday before the race at the Made to Inspire event. So you can come to the race, do the race. There's a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon on that Saturday, June 11th. And then the Friday before, we're going to have this awesome event with Mel, myself, and Tony Carey. Um, so when you go to runsignup.com slash made to move, use the code Lindsay10 to get 10% off your registration. Go check out the Made to Move website as well to check out and get registered for the Friday event. I'm so excited about it. We'll put a link to sign up for the race and the Friday event in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Scott Fobble. So, okay. I, I love your conversation around like not being entitled and like viewing this as a job. And I'm so curious looking back, like, is it what you expected? I mean, you've been, what do you think you're like, you're like halfway through your pro career like at this point, right? Yeah. hope so. So like, what do you, what do you think looking back? Is it, are you, are you where you hope to be? Is it what you expected it would be? I don't know. Probably not. I'm probably like, I've, like I've said before, I, I have high standards for myself. So I imagine if, you know, if you had told me uh, in 2015 when I graduated college, like, hey, seven years, you'll have 
two contracts. Um, I guess, you know, I guess I would be, I would take it, but I would have thought that I would have run faster, especially in the shorter distances. I thought I had a little more juice in the 5k and could have run a little faster on the 10, but, um, but I think I would have been happy with it because I, I kind of knew like people aren't going to know who this is, but Christo Landry was big when I was in college and he was winning this, like the USATF road circuit often. And uh, I sort of saw myself as in his sort of shoes where it was like, I don't know if I can compete world championship wise on the track. Maybe I can sneak on a team here and there. Um, but I really saw myself on the roads. So I would have thought I would have won a, a little bit more, I think. Um, but I don't know that I would have. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. That's not really that good of an answer to your question. I think I would have thought I would have, I guess, accomplished a little bit more, but I would have been happy with what I've done. What's he doing now? I don't know. You know, I don't know Chris that well. Uh, met him in a few races, but, you know, I hope he's happy. He had a wonderful career and um, I hope he's doing something that fulfills him. I love it when names names like that get brought up. I, I You're right. I had no idea who you're talking about. He was very good on the roads in like 2000. 13 to 2016 or 2017. I haven't heard from him a ton since then. And also the road scene has gotten much more competitive in the last four or five years. So sure. Um, yeah. In the past he was, there were some races he was kind of sweeping up uh, just sort of hoovering up prize money, but um, yeah. Okay. So are you bouncing back between Boulder and Flagstaff? Uh, right now I'm in flag okay. with my fiance. Um, I don't know when I'll be back in Boulder, probably whenever we get ready for the next marathon. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I think we'll probably just do stints in Boulder. I don't know that we'll move there. Um, sort of, a yeah, sort of a lot of, a lot of stuff in the air right now in terms of where we'll be living soon. What does your fiance do? She's a physical therapist oh, okay. at the, at the hospital in town. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Anything else new going on? Like, um, any good books or shows or podcasts? I you don't do your podcast anymore, but like what what pop culture fun stuff is Scott into? What are you into? Let's see. Uh, what did we just finish? Um, I think Hulu has some good stuff right now. I watched the the founder. No, sorry, the dropout. Dope sick was good. Um, I'm interested in watching uh, the show with John Bernthal on HBO. Like by the producers of The Wire, I think it's called uh, "We Are the City." Uh, yeah, I love The Wire, so I'll I'll watch anything Wire adjacent. Um, last season of Ozark, mm. last few episodes, so I'll be all over that soon. Um, you know, on a different note, my fiance and I started a what it's called. Um, Are you the one? Which is a horrible reality TV <laughs> dating show uh, that I think is on MTV. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a lowbrow, highbrow guy, you know, I'll, uh, read, you know, I'll, I'll watch good stuff. I, you know, Emmy rewarding stuff. I thought Mayor of Easttown was awesome. That was one of the best shows I've ever watched. And then I'll also watch, you know, are you the one I can't wait for big brothers to start up. Uh, so, you know, I got a lot, I got a wide taste. Um, in terms of books, I'm rereading of mice and men Okay. because I thought, you know, I read that in high school and I felt like it was wasted on me then mm-hmm. probably didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. Um, and then after that, uh, I'm going to read Chuck Klosterman's new book called the nineties. Um, so that's sort of what I'm looking forward to. It looks good. Okay. You remind me of my husband in your like taste for movies and shows. I, however, would never be able to get him to watch that MTV show with me. Okay. Maybe we've just been married for too long. Yeah, uh, we were so I think we turned it on because we were between shows and we watched NBA. We watched the NBA and the NBA finished at like eight twenty or something like that one night, or maybe like one of the games was out of hand and it like wasn't enough time to get into a whole new show. But there were new episodes of it. Haley had seen the old ones. She's like, let's just watch one. It's like all right, and then I was just looking at my phone and just sort of following it. Sure. You, know, you only have half watched these things. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, now we're like five episodes in. It really hits you quick. You know, that Netflix algorithm where it just keeps feeding you more stuff. Uh, all of a sudden you're invested in something you shouldn't be invested in. But now I want them to win the million dollars. Did you watch Winning Time? I haven't watched Winning Time. I've read the book by oh. Jeff Perlman. Okay. Yeah. He's great. He's a really, really good author. Um, so I, I sort of know the story. I understand Jerry West doesn't love it, though. 
Well, yeah. One of the like, uh, I listened to this pop culture podcast called The Popcast. And um, one of the hosts, Knox, who you actually kind of remind me of him too with your taste. And I know he's like obsessed with Chuck Klosterman as well. So I'm like, maybe you and Knox would jive. But he was saying that the way they depict Jerry West is like actually not the way that he is. And so maybe that's why Jerry West is not happy. Yeah, well, he's suing them for uh, defamation. So, you know, it sounds like he, in the show, he has like pretty major anger issues. Yes. Yeah, which I, I don't think Jerry West is like a calm dude, but I don't think he was like, I don't know, at least in the book, it doesn't sound like he was um like should have been in jail. It doesn't seem like he needed to like check himself into anger management or anything like that. He was just a competitive guy. I feel like in the show too, they depict him as having like a pretty bad alcohol problem. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he might have. It was, uh, what, the early 80s in the NBA? I don't think that they were the most. I don't think they were fun, you know, back then. Um. Okay, cool. Well, will your podcast ever come back? I would like it to come back. I liked doing them in person. And, you know, the pandemic sort of shut that down. And now I'm sort of in between places. So, yeah, I'd like to do it again. I want to – there's a few movies I'd really like to do. Um, I'd like to do Taken. Okay. Because I love that movie. I've seen Taken probably a hundred times because um, it's a good rehab movie, like where you just put it on and then you do something else and you uh-huh. watch it. You see where you can sort of follow along. Um, I'd like to do The Town. Ooh, yeah. I would like to do um, basically any action movie. I think are re- really fun to do because they're like they're generally pretty flawed. Like if you do, rewatch like you know, like The Godfather or something like that. Like that movie is basically perfect. There's like, what criticism am I going to make about Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece? Um, but if you watch like, you know, The Dark Knight, there's some real plot holes that are like fun to like actually talk about as opposed to pieces of art that are basically unimpeachable. That's what you do on the show. It's called The Showrunners, right? That's what you do. You break down the yeah. show. Yeah, we break down a movie. Um talking about the things we like, the things we don't like, the things that don't make sense. Um, one of our bits was like uh, lines that would make the best Instagram caption. Um, Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Um, Glenn, that's my husband. Um, he is like so disheartened that I've never seen The Godfather. <laughs> like it's like... It's pretty good. It's like yeah. the... It's like my biggest flaw to him that I have never because he he too thinks it's like the best show of all time he was he'll randomly just like watch it on a Wednesday he's just like I'm just gonna watch The Godfather I'm like what what is this world yeah I I'm not like a big like you need to go see a hundred of these hundred classic movies Mm, so that you mm -hmm. that's not really my thing I kind of think that you should be responsible for pop culture starting when you were like 10 years old like I don't think I should be responsible for okay knowing movies that came out in 1993 it's like i was two i had other things going on um but i think the godfather would be worth it is that like the one like if you had to pick one that like everybody should watch this show like would that be it or this movie uh yeah maybe maybe the godfather Hmm. have you seen coda i haven't seen coda i don't have apple tv oh Uh, shoot i want subscription service i haven't haven't splurged for we just canceled Netflix, but we're hanging on to Apple TV and Hulu. Apple TV and Hulu. Okay. We have, yeah, we have Netflix still on my parents' account. Netflix, please don't cancel me. But they're going um, to, aren't they? You're going to, like, aren't they making it so you can't? We'll see. You know, they're losing subscribers right and left. It seems like they would want to keep as many uh, people logged into their app as possible while the share price plummets. Um yeah, no, I, I have, we have Hulu, we have, uh, I have ESPN Plus and Amazon Prime. No HBO. So. Oh, HBO Max. Yeah, I've got HBO Max as well. Well, we're ripping that off of my husband's dad still. I'm like, you know, we're 38 Good. and we're still sharing accounts, so. <laughs> like, you should, um, there should be like a Tinder for, uh, like, TV apps. Be like, all right, have Hulu looking for Apple, you know? <laughs> You know, like if you can have multiple people on each account, like, you know, 
you share just Venmo each other or, you know, whatever, figure out the, the difference. Totally. And we canceled yeah. Netflix mostly like it, the price increase was mostly just like a reminder that that's the one we probably use the least. And mm -hmm. so we were just like, okay, it's time. And I don't think, I don't think yeah. we'll miss it once you don't, if you don't have it to flip through, I don't think you'll miss it. Yeah. I would like to go back to the old Netflix where they sent you DVDs. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I would go back to that because you had the cube and then, and, you know, like sometimes you're looking through it and you're like, oh man, like, um, what's an example? It's like, oh man, triple frontier. Like I'd really like to watch that again, but not right now. But like, if they send me the DVD, I have to watch it Yeah. or else I'm not getting my money's worth. You're you know? committed so, to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would like the DVD situation where they're like, you got to watch this and send it back. And here's the envelope. Um, Okay, last comment on this. How does Redbox still exist? Like, do people actually still have DVD players? I don't know. That's a good question. I I'm see not them sure. at like, you know, Walgreens and McDonald's, like yeah. out there. I know. Do you have to, so do you have to bring it back yes. to the Redbox? It's like see, a that dollar. that seems like the issue for me. I know. Bringing it back. I just want to put it in the mailbox or, I, or just throw it away. <laughs> like with Netflix. I know I go all the way back to the blockbuster days. You're probably too young. Like, did you go to blockbuster as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, it was like very much a, Oh, you're sick and not going to school today. Like let's pop over to blockbuster 15 minutes, pick your, pick out your movie, never ending story land before time. Mm -hmm. We'll head back. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like that is like the marker of like, you know, you're quite a bit younger than me, but like people that phased out of like the blockbuster days, that's like a whole new generation. You you had to be well, close yeah. to the cusp. Yeah, I think so. I was, yeah, I would say I remember when it was a big deal when you could get a DVD at Blockbuster. Yeah. And we were not the first family to have a DVD player. <laughs> so it was like, oh man, like they've only got, you know, they've only got this movie on DVD. Like why we, I need to watch it on VHS. We still have that. Um, so I remember, I remember Blockbuster. I, I feel like though that I'm much closer, you know, I know you're what you're eight years older than me. Yeah. You say 38. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I feel much closer to your age than a 22 year old. Yes, you know? for sure. For sure. I think we're probably both as like social media savvy where it's like, yeah. all right. I figured out Instagram. I figured out Twitter. I have no interest in figuring out TikTok. No. That's too young. Too young for me. Um, like Snapchat was came and went, but it was a... Eh, and there's you know. kids still do Snapchat though. Like I feel like my babysitters still use it. Yeah. I'm, all my um, like younger teammates or younger friends, like that's how they communicate with people. They Snapchat. don't like, text to Snapchat. It's like, why Why would I send something that's only going to exist for 10 seconds? That's I know. useless. Um, yeah. So I think I feel much... I feel like the delineation is like 28 years old right now, you're older. And then if you're younger than 28, you're like a young person still. Well, also the the gap just gets um, different. Like I feel like once you're late 20s, you're, you're just like more – the late 20s to the late 30s to 40s even kind of all start morphing together a little bit more. Yeah, well, like once you have a big wedding season, you might as well – there's really not a big difference between like – or once your friends start having kids, there's really not a big difference between like 27 and 40. You're yeah. just, they're just kids. That's it. They're, yeah. the, issue. they're that, the thing. That's the face. Yeah, I know. And I'm about to hit all the 40th birthday parties. Yeah. This is where I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, this has been fun. Thank you for the like movie chat as well. You know, I always like to like just, you know, take it away from running a little bit and just talk about some some fun stuff. A little multidimensional here. Have you seen the new Batman? No. Oh, it's on HBO. Okay. I think you did. I think of Robert Pattinson as a attainable Batman. Is he? he is, like, that's who the Batman is. Yeah. I didn't he's even like, know that. Yeah, he's uh, he like uglifies himself. He doesn't look as good as Christian Bale. <laughs> um, I feel like his Batman is a little darker, which is probably good because if you really think about it, like Batman's a psycho. Uh huh. It's like shot very differently. It's very very dark. Like oh. the the light dark like i don't like the the is plot scary? is dark. like what like if you're like a 10 year old kid like could my you think a 10 year old could watch it or would it be scary I would say not a 10 year old not a 10 year old there's okay. some um but i liked it a lot oh, okay there's like adult stuff i see what you're saying yeah um no i have not but i will 
my husband would be thrilled if I said, let's watch Batman. He would be very, <laughs> it's like three hours long, but I think it'll be, it's, it's fine. Three hours long is okay. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your rest and I'll look forward to you announcing that you're running New York in the fall. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I can't wait to announce that. Um, all right. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for making time for my show. Thanks. Of course, Lindsay. This was fun. Okay. Bye, Scott. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, for coming on the show. I hope that you all have enjoyed this post-Boston Marathon series. I sure did have fun recording it. Uh, we'll be back to just regular Friday episodes from here on out until I think of another, you know, Monday series that we might do here. Uh, make sure you check out Inside Tracker. Go grab yourself a great blood test to make sure all your biomarkers are looking good. Go to insidetracker.com slash another. Use the code another for 20% off your order. And you can get yourself the best lip balm out there that is from a company who is a small business and cares a lot about the environment. Go to portlandbebalm.com. Use the code SANDYBOY for 15% off your first order. Just get a big multi-pack. That's what I do because you need chapstick in every room in your house, right? Uh, all right, friends. Thanks for being here. And we will see you Friday with another episode. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>